0: Because every time someone decides, even if it's 50 grand or 100 grand or half a million bucks or a million bucks, it's still predicated on, does that person trust that you can do it? Hello, and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk
1: about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexammer. With me, excited to have Lance Peterson. Lance, how are you doing today?
0: Doing good, man. How are you doing? I'm
1: doing fantastic. A uh, little bit about Lance. He's worked in the middle real estate uh, space for more than 13 years, helped over 180 entrepreneurs, architect, pool investment funds. He's passionate about the power of transparency, which we'll dive a lot into, uh, in building trust between sponsors and investors. Um He's the founder and managing partner of Verivest, which uh, we'll again we'll dive a lot into. I want to talk about a lot about what Verivest is and does, and uh, principal of Fairway uh, America, private equity real estate company in Portland, uh, and the host of a podcast, Real Estate Risk Report, uh, featuring conversations uh, uh, with real estate sponsors around the topic of risk mitigation. So. With that said, Lance, why don't you give our listeners a bit more about your background and then we'll dive into what you're focused on today.
0: Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I got into the real estate business in 2008. Um, I was a member of entrepreneurs organization for, for years and I had met the guy in my uh, forum group, fellow entrepreneur who was a commercial hard money lender. Um, so I sort of teamed up with him in 2008, uh, focused more on the the back office side of things. He was more on the underwriting and, you know, servicing side and, and uh, the asset management side. And so that's sort of where I came into the business from was, you know, loan to value and, you know, and, and uh, doing loans and, you know, borrowing money to, to commercial real estate owners, operators. Uh, and at that point, you know, we had been, Matt, my partner had been operating pooled investment funds since 2001 um is kind of a more efficient way to fund the loans as they came through right was raise money from investors and and then give them you know exposure to the whole portfolio of loans versus you know finding investors for each deal so you know really that's where we got you know pretty deep in the fund management side and the fund architecture side and then 2012 we we pivoted the business from you know just being a a lender, and really into more of, you know, I'll call it private equity real estate firm, more of an allocator of capital. And you know, we realized one, there's a lot more upside, in, on the equity side of the equation. And two, you know, you just saw sort of a, an unmet need in the market, right, for, um, you know, more sophisticated investors who understood some of these, you know, sub-institutional real estate investment strategies you know, these deals are too small for the institutional investors to come down into. And at that time, you know, the JOBS Act was sort of just a, um, you know, sort of something on the docket. And uh, we saw that coming as well. And, and then, of course, sort of took hold in uh, September of 2013. So really, that's where we sort of jumped in and, and, and got into the game and started um, advising real estate guys around the country who were looking to, you know, uh, turn up, uh, and launch a, a pooled fund, whether they were, you know, buying multifamily properties or once again, doing, you know, doing loans, you know, hard money loans, fix and flip loans, <clears throat> those sorts of things. And we created a diversified fund ourselves uh, that our investors could, you know, allocate capital into that would give them you know, broad exposure to these various people we worked with, whether they were lending funds or once again, multifamily deals or retail deals. And, uh, and the accidental business sort of formed out of that was what is now referred to as Verivest. So we learned quickly that, that this back office thing is a big issue and a bit of a, um, you know, the reporting left much to be desired, right? And so if the downstream, you know, deal sponsors and, and uh, real estate entrepreneurs couldn't get the reporting done, we, we couldn't do the reporting at our fund level. So we started offering it as a, as a service to those we worked with um really more for our selfish needs so that we could actually you know get the reports on time and that turned into a you know, a full-fledged business sort of the accidental business uh where you know we were doing all the accounting and bookkeeping and you know fund administration for you know, people all around the country. So you know fast forward to to uh t- 2021, you know, we've got 2.2 billion plus in assets under administration and you know clients all over the country that were, you know, doing all the middle and back office administration for so that's kind of where my roots came from was just more of that back office, you know, the accounting stuff, getting all that reporting sort of nailed down and and uh, and that sort of you know my, my bent on things and and obviously we've got some other things we've done along the way that we've learned that I'm sure we'll talk about. Well,
1: <clears throat> let me just make sure I understand exactly where you are. So, so you were, and maybe still do, you were raising. a money through a fund and you guys were taking that, were you then allocating that money to different lead sponsors? Is that how it was going?
0: Yeah, exactly. So often what would happen, right. Is someone would engage us to say, Hey, we want to do a fund, um, you know, to buy multifamily properties, Mm -hmm. but we don't, we're syndicating our deals one at a time with friends and family. And we kind of want to make that leap. So, They'd end up paying us a fee to sort of help them architect and go from not having a fund to having a fund, and then what we would typically do was say, "Hey, we'll be your lead investor. We'll invest a million bucks into your fund in exchange we want some percentage of the general partnership. Yeah. Um, you know, or whatever we whatever we could do, right? Because we solve their problem. They've got a lead investor who knows what they're doing. You know, they've they've got you know they can kind of get going." Um, and now, you know, out of our own fund, our investors of source, you know, of course, got, you know, better, better economics. They got a GP position and, and those sorts of things. And we're the ones who did all the underwriting of the sponsor and, and, you know, their deals. So, so yeah, that's sort of how we got into it was just realizing that, hey, people yeah. need money and they've got deals and we know what we're doing and we can underwrite them and vet them. And, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so you're sitting here you'd partner with this with this lead sponsor who's supposed to be doing their job yeah. and you're you finding out the reporting's not quite there, the communication's lacking yeah. and you're having to report to your investors. So if they're not reporting to you, you can't report properly to your investors. Ultimately, yeah. it, looks, it looks bad upon you because it comes back down to, well, Lance, why aren't you communicating with us? What's going on at this property? And you're going, well, I don't know the, the, you know, the guy in charge isn't communicating. Well, no, I, I invested because you, (laughs) you know,
0: we got it. It's, it's our problem. Right. So we were, we were pregnant with the problem. Right. So we had to do something about it. You got it. And so that's what it was. We just realized that, Hey, it's a lot of work, you know, trying to find deals, you know you're your underwriting deals and and then not to mention the asset management and the negotiation and you know there's a lot of moving parts and so of course the piece that sort of gets neglected or is often the least mature inside of a you know a real estate investment firm is is sort of those back office operations right just the the reporting function
1: yep.
0: uh, isn't very good and it's usually because the people who started, you know, the firm, we're more pure play real estate guys, you know, they're deal junkies, they're they're good at sort of negotiating and, and finding good deals, you know, not so much really enamored with, you know, accounting and all the other things that come along with it. Right. And so, um,
1: but when so you're dealing happens. with investors, they want to see that. And that's to the investor is transparency. It's yeah. They, they like the fact that you're a deal junkie. They like the fact that you're getting them deals, but they're not you and they don't see what's happening on a day-to-day basis. So you, as, as as being the deal sponsor, you might go, well, this project's going really well. Like, I don't know why people are upset because everything's going well. Well, yeah, but you're seeing it on a day-to-day basis and their way of seeing it is through you. And if you're not communicating, you're not doing it right. Well, at least your investors think
0: that. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right.
1: Yeah. that And that makes sense. And and I get, I, I would say we do a decent job, but in it, what I would have said uh, before hearing from my investors, I would have said we do an okay job, but we need to step it up. Yeah. Now, hearing from my investors, we do an excellent job. And the market, uh, the rest of everybody else, not everybody else, obviously, but a lot of other people are doing a bad job. And so what I'm saying we do okay, we need to step it up. That that must mean that other people are doing a really bad job yeah. at communicating with their investors. So Verivest, I think, is an extremely valuable what you guys have created. Let's talk about the creation. Let's talk about, you've already kind of talked about why. So now let's talk about what have you guys created that helps people, that helps the sponsors and then that helps
0: the investor as well. Sure. Yeah. So I think, you know, as, you know, as investors ourselves, right, sort of our start, you know, we we were on the other side of the table, first and foremost. So, you know, we just looked at it from, well, what, what did we feel like we had to do in order to complete and conduct, you know, appropriate levels of due diligence upfront? And once again, on an ongoing basis, what do we need, you know, to feel comfortable? And so at Veribest, what we've really done is taken that along with all the feedback from, you know, end user sort of just you know, garden variety, accredited investors, doctors, dentists, lawyers, you know, like getting feedback from them, yep. you know, as to what they wish they could do that they're not doing. And so it all starts at the sponsor. And so, you know, we would always run background checks on people, which of course, when you're writing seven figure checks, you know, getting the sponsor to, you know, run you know, let you run a background check on them is not that hard, right. Running a, writing a $50,000 check. It's a little awkward, Um, it's not to say the sponsor won't do it. So at Verivest, what we do is we said, okay, sponsors, Verivest will run the background checks on you. Right. And, you know, we've got criteria, so we'll go back seven years. And, and if, you know, if you meet those criteria, then you can sort of be part of the, our network. So that's benefit to the investors. And now you don't have every investor asking, they can go right to your profile on our website and see, sure enough, here's their, here's the results of their background check. These guys are good guys. And then I think the other one was, you know, sort of the track record. Most sponsors want to tell you how great their track record is. They've got a proven track record. Um, you know, from our standpoint as investors always like trying to get the details of said proven track record was always very challenging. It continues to be challenging. Um, and it's, it's it's, time and it's, it's, it's laborious, right? So well, even that's they- why
1: it's challenging. I think, because it's, it's, it's very laborious. If I think back and I'm trying to give you my t- track record, I can give you some, but like, man, if I got to write, I started from, I started at a totally different spot than where I'm at now. So like tracking some of the earlier data points, that's way more difficult because we didn't keep as, you know, we didn't keep as good of books at the beginning. And, yeah. and so, yeah, I could see that being very hard to get that information and talk about time consuming. I got to dig all that up. Like really, uh,
0: yeah, that's right. And so I we, we, I looked at it like, you know, it, it's a problem in as much as, you know, you're talking with investors and especially if you've, you know, it's a new relationship, you know, that's what you're sort of up against as a deal sponsor is that this, the, the, the sales cycle that is so long, yeah. right. It's like just met somebody and they won't write a check for 12 or 18 months. And the reason they don't is because of the uncertainty that surrounds yes. these issues. Yes. And so You know, what we tell sponsors like, listen, it is hard for to dig up. You got to dig up what you can. Right. And and us as sort of an independent third party. will verify as much of it as we can. And, you know, and so on your public profile, we once again, even if you say that here's we bought all these houses or deals, these duplexes or fourplexes and, you know, 2008 and but I don't have the records. It's fine. We'll add it to their track record. We just won't put a little check next to it that says verified. Right. And I think that that's sort of what we're educating end user investors on is just to understand that, you know, that is sort of just how it goes. Mm-hmm. Guys get started in the business. They're not the greatest record keepers. That sort of stuff, you know, just gets lost in the shuffle. It doesn't mean they didn't, you know, didn't do it. You know, and of course, you're looking for a little bit more high fidelity, you know, in the most more recent years. Right. Like you want to see that the things that they did. But either way, yeah. from the sponsor's perspective, it's just saying, listen, just green and bear at once and then keep it up to date on an ongoing basis. And you basically have a living track record that's on the internet that's publicly accessible that people can see. So when you're out there talking to new people, you can say, well, you don't need to, you don't need to trust me, right? Just go to our profile and you can see that Verivest had it verified. So I think it ends up once again, saving a lot of time for the LPs or the passive investors along with the sponsors. It's just, you're not having to wade through all these awkward conversations with these new relationships You can just sort of get to the heart of it. Listen, I'm not a crook. I'm not a criminal. I've had what I can have verified, verified. You know, this is what we've done. You know, we've done it successfully. Here's what we're doing today. Here's our new opportunity. Um, You know, let's talk about that. Let's just spend more time talking about the merits of the deal itself, right? And our ability to execute, you know, on that business plan instead of you trying to like hunt and peck around and figure out whether or not we're good guys or not. Or waiting a year before you decide to make an investment. And I think the last piece, you know, that we got that we do at VeriVest, of course, is just realizing that well, we're offering these back office services. So we're doing the accounting and the books and the calculations and the waterfall calcs and sending out the statements and all those things, you know, that there's there's an oversight component that comes along with that, right? We're clearly want to make sure if we're doing that stuff, that we're not sort of aiding and abetting someone who's running a Ponzi scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so as administrators, we're always making sure that the stuff that's being provided to us by our clients is legitimate. Meaning, you know, if I get a closing statement, you know, I'm going to go look on the public record, search the database, make sure this is legitimate and it isn't sort of fabricated. I mean, I want to make sure these assets are legitimate and we've always done that. And so it sort of dawned on me once again, like that's the stuff we can do. Not everyone needs to have some full-blown financial audit, but what we can do is follow the money. And if we follow the money and that ongoing monitoring, so once someone invests, if we can, once again, as independent third party, you know, give greater peace of mind to the end user investor that someone independent is watching where all the money goes, and is ensuring that those assets are properly titled, and, you know, are real, and they actually exist, Mm -hmm. it's it just takes that off the table. Because what happens for a lot of investors is that they sort of wait the 12 months, 18 months. They decide to make the investment. They're getting their distributions, as they said. But even when things are going well, they're a nervous wreck thinking that this might be some sort of Ponzi scheme. They're waiting for the other shoe to fall, right? Or the yeah. other shoe to drop. And so and that is just over and over and over again, talking with investors, that's the feedback you get. And so I've just realized like, that's just way too much friction. And of course, this is all unspoken. Most of these things are never being said out loud when you're in this conversation with a potential new LP or investor. They're not saying, well, you know what I'm really thinking? I'm just not sure if you're really a good guy. You seem like a good guy. I'm not really sure if I can believe you or not. And I'm not really sure if you're going to rip me off or not. You know, they're not saying that, uh, but they're thinking it. And so for us, we just see that benefit on both sides of the aisle is just let's just remove that friction and, you know, and, and just make it easier to sort of make those connections. And then of course, from the sponsor standpoint, being able to take a lot of that administrative burden, you know, off your plate, because I think for us having done it ourselves, and for many of those we've talked to building a full blown back office is expensive. It, it, it's costly, you know, it takes time and you've got more head count to, to manage and all yep. those things. And more often than not, once again, real estate guys aren't like the world's greatest people managers you know, all things being equal, they'd much rather not have more people to manage, let alone them be accountants who are, you know, I love them. We got a ton of them, but they're a different breed. Um, they're certainly not, you know, real estate people. So, so that's sort of the, you know, our benefit is you plug into the real estate ecosystem. I think we, we just help remove a lot of that friction that exists, especially on the capital management side.
1: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And you're giving good, clear reports. Um, like the the back end, I think is is huge to have that. Most people, most investors, don't have that, um, or if they do, it just it's it's not it's either not done right, it's not done well, um, it's not done timely, or it's just a big distraction out of their business. Yeah, you know, it, um, you'd be probably better served if you're because a lot of people try to hack it and do it themselves, right? that's just the entrepreneurship spirit. Like we can do it all on our own. So one of your partners is is doing all that. Maybe it's yourself is doing all that where you'd be better served looking for deals, talking to new investors, uh, you know, managing your current deals. But instead you're sitting here trying to work on the back office stuff and you're, it's just, it's, you're not doing it well because that's not what you should be focusing on in the first place.
0: Yeah, that's right. And that's, and that's what we see when we work with our clients is that, you know, because they're not accountants and they're not, they, they think, you know, they think, well, I think we're pretty good at it, you know, and then us as sort of professionals, we look at it and go, uh, well, I mean, nice try. I mean, but it's, you know, is it, it, it that, that's a bit of the issue, right? It's like, you don't know what you don't know. And it's yeah. the same problem, yeah. it's the same problem too, when you're hiring people, right? When you're hiring people for jobs that you don't really understand fully yourself, Right. Like, how do you know if the person you're hiring is any good or not? Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's difficult. And so you know, I think for us and it's just sort of my background's always been sort of this outsourcing these sorts of, you know, uh, support functions. So, of course, I'm just a huge fan. And I just believe like if it's not a core competency and you're not going to like win the day based upon how great you are at it, then it should be outsourced yeah. as much of it as you can. Um, and not to mention too is just and you know this Todd of just trying to scale a business like this is that when when you're really in, in the early going, it's just you and you can sort of find deals and whatever. But when it really starts to scale, the headcount even on the asset management and the acquisition side yeah. is it's just you need more people than you've got revenue coming in the door, and so you really have to withstand you know that and it's just hard to get through the dip in this business because so much of the upside is back end loaded, and so. Until you really fill the pipeline with deals that have sort of ready to go full cycle and you can, you know, get that promoter carry on the back end. It's just a lot of people get stuck there. And I think it, for Verivest, just at its core, that's sort of what we're trying to make it easier, where it's just easier to sort of get through that dip because it's all, you know, these, these fixed expenses are really more variable expenses. So you can just kind of, you know, it's just one deal at a time, they're deal-level expenses a lot of that back office stuff is being handled by us and you don't have to add a, you know, 60, $70,000 a year headcount, which, you know, it just is not fully utilized, you know, straight away. Right. Um, so.
1: Yeah, it's funny. My, my wife is, uh, marketing her, her background's marketing and, and she recently quit her job. And, and so she's doing some of my marketing and some of my investor relations stuff. And, Um, she was looking at a marketing piece for my coaching business. I do some, some coaching, multifamily coaching, uh, as well. And so she's looking at that and she's like, "I I love you, but this is horrible. (laughs) She's like, and that's just, that's like what you're talking about. Like, yeah, good try. Right. Nice, nice try. But no, this isn't, this isn't it. We, we think we can do it ourselves no, no. Like I'm not a marketer. I can't create a good marketing piece, but you know, I tried. It just, it was horrible. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah that, that's right. You know, and it's just, it's, it's that sort of acknowledgement of, you know, so it's, it's interesting work with the guys. Cause a lot of the stuff we just talked about, I think on the surface, a bit counterintuitive. Um, Cause for most, right. When you think about, on the, you know, if you pan out, when we think about what Barabas is doing on the surface, a lot of guys just look at it, like I need to raise more money. Like, so can you help me just, you know, I need to raise 8 million bucks for this next deal by, you know, you know, a month from now, can you, can you raise that $8 million for me? Yeah. You know? And of course, for me, my answer is no. Uh, but what I can do is help you get on a path to where we can make it easier to raise the $8 million. Yeah. So of course, that's not what people want to hear. Um, and cause, well, cause a lot everybody of, everybody
1: wants it right, right away. Nobody wants, nobody wants to take time to get there. What are you kidding me, Lance? I
0: mean, why do you yeah, want well, to
1: take time to get there?
0: That's right. This is amazing deal. Don't you understand? Yeah. 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 I get it. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying your deal's not awesome. I'm sure it is. That's It's great. Right. But it's but just, are you awesome? <laughs> are you awesome? And, and it's just, and are you prepared? Right. And I think that's yeah. the whole thing. It's just that, are, are you ready? Are you at a place where you are ready to raise $8 million when you need to? And I think that it is a bit linear in this business, you know, as you go. And I always say it comes down to right now, how many people, you know, are in your investor database and of those, how many of them are accredited and how much net worth do they have? And so if in this business, if you want to make more money, you need to ultimately do more deals, bigger deals, right? I mean, it's just, that's just how it goes. So if you're committed to doing that and you want to grow and scale the firm and you want to make more money, it's going to require more capital. And to get more capital it's going to require more names in your database Right. More connections. And I think that the, the, the thing that I think a lot of people overlook or that, that there's this myth they buy into is that is that they're, they're going to find sort of this knight in shining armor. or Someone's going to come along the, you know, sort of the uh, the, uh, you know, it's going to be the single source investor who's just going to take care of that for them. And I think that, you know, right. the institutional investor and I, I just spent a lot of time trying to explain to them that. The more, the more if, you, if, if that did exist, you have to understand that the part person that's playing that role is going to say, without me, you can't do what you need to do. And therefore, I need a disproportionate amount of the upside for playing that role, right? And that's what institutional investors more often, that's what they represent. They want yeah. more control than you probably want to give, and they're going to charge you more. They're going to let you take less than you want to take. And so it's not a shortcut, Right. And and I've spoken with lots of guys who basically, you know, bought into that and took that capital and were miserable and felt like they basically owned a job for years and years and years. Yeah. You know, and then they realized like this whole raising money from high net worth people now starting to make a hell of a lot more sense. But of course, since they weren't, they were never developing the relationships, you know, they may have done a bunch of deals and they got a pretty extensive track record, but they have no relationships to show for it. Right. So once again, because every time someone decides, even if it's 50 grand or 100 grand or half a million bucks or a million bucks, it's still predicated on does that person trust that you can do it And building trust does not happen overnight. Yep. Right. And so for me, I know people get this frustrated that I just get really focused in on this trusting, but I'm like, it is the transaction. It's the transaction. How quickly can you get people to trust you? And if we can reduce the time it takes for them to trust you, then you're better off. And the more people you can get to trust you and you can do it more at scale, you know, that's what you're after. And in the age of the internet, you know, this is, this is the future, right? Like, so now you, you can build relationships with anybody, anywhere, yep. right? And it, and because with COVID and things like that, I mean, it's like, now we've got additional barriers between us and relationship building. And so, you know, before, and, and we learned this the hard way, Todd, because we spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars And days and days and days and days traveling around the country and the world, going places where we thought there'd be investors. And we ended up with nothing or little to nothing. You know, I think that's when we realized like, there's got to be a better way. And of course, the answer is the internet. There's people out there that'll wake up this morning that are looking for something in particular, a deal sponsor that's doing multifamily in the Midwest in Minnesota, in Wisconsin, in Illinois, whatever that is they're looking for and how are they going to find you, right? Like that's the issue is that that in this, the beauty of, of real estate is that it's fragmented. I mean, fragmentation is a feature,
1: yep.
0: right? And that's that's the beauty of it. And there's only so much of it, yep. but it also means that it's, that that fragmentation is just super inefficient. It's hard to connect people that have the money with the people who've got the deals. And that's, you know, so for us, that's really that, Breaking it down step by step, and 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 looking at it from that perspective is sort of you know how we view it.
1: Yeah, that, that's a whole conversation itself. The fragmentation of the industry and how it's an advantage and you know, quite frankly, we could talk about where it's going right now. And, and I mean, that's a whole like yeah. conversation itself. But it's really interesting that you bring that up, but yeah, no, I agree. And I get a lot of, I see, I see a lot of, you know, I'm in bigger pockets sometimes and, and uh, I see these posts like, Oh, how do you find a, how do you find a, a sponsor that you can trust? You know, so people don't know they're looking for the sponsor that they trust they're, they're looking for that person that they can put the money with a company they could put their money with, but they're they're kind of at a loss because where do you find it? There's no publicly, well, there are, right? There are REITs, but there's no publicly traded private real estate syndication. <laughs> I mean, it's just not there, right? So we can't just go really and just look it up. You type in multifamily syndicators and you're not going to get, like that search is not going to give you the results you're looking for. So yeah, it's really challenging. How do you find it? Uh, and that's why I really like what you're doing uh, with Verivest is I like that there's a place that where people can go and you and I had a phone conversation about all these sponsors out there and, and many of them are good and the vast majority are good, but then you've got a, you've got some, and, and, and I don't want to say bad players, because they're not necessarily bad people, right? They're just not doing things maybe the right way. Um, and they're, they're being, you know, sloppy and how they're doing things. And a lot of times I think the people that are doing things wrong are just young, energetic, and excited. And they're, they're deal junkies. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they're good people to be investing with. And again, not, not, not saying their character is bad, yeah. They're what, how they're conducting business is not necessarily the the right way. And of course, there are some bad characters, right? Um, yeah. And then that those people we for sure want to avoid, uh, like the plague. But uh, but you know, you're trying to verify not only and and weed out not only the truly bad people, but you're also trying to weed out the people that are deal junkies, but not really conducting business the way that somebody with private capital should be investing
0: yeah. with. Yeah, you, you got it. I think that's where I call it. It's public accountability because right now there is no public accountability. Yeah. So you can be the enthusiastic deal junkie with a little bit of marketing, marketing chops who doesn't really know. It's just naivete. Um, and, but there's nothing that sort of, checking you. Right. And in the back of their minds, whether it's subconscious or conscious, they know that I've got 30 LPs in this deal. If the deal goes up in flames, I've just burned 30 relationships. And they use, once again, the, they, they go, there's millions of others, right. I'll recover. Right. I mean, once again, conscious or subconscious, Yeah. but that's yeah. sort of how it goes. And I know the feeling, right. Because if before, so we went through the process and we had to fill with the broker dealer and I had to take like the series seven, the 63 and the 65 you know they're really hard you got to study you know for all these things that don't even really matter to our business and then you pass but then you know in the process you realize like how serious this stuff is like you're in the business of selling securities and you know it source of dawns on you. you won't pass the test if it doesn't dawn on you but the day after you pass the test and you're affiliated with the broker dealer there's this there's a difference like the way that you do everything is just, it's that accountability, right? Because it's like, if, if I do anything and make a misstep and I'm not careful, that's going to go up on my profile on FINRA broker check. And, you know, the, my reputation is out there for the world to see. And that was one of the things that happened that made me realize that even for me, a guy who considered myself, like most do, a man of high integrity, right? And one who would say I'm, of you know, I have, I'm accountable or whatever, it's that even I found there's a different level of sort of like, okay, this is a little bit more serious. And it was that public accountability knowing that, Hey, you know, I got to be careful if I had a few beers before I jump in the car, because, you know, I get a Dewey, you know, I have to report that stuff to the broker dealer and it's going to go up on my profile or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that's not there. That's the beauty of it for many of us is that we operate in the unregulated sort of space using exemptions from registration, but there's not public accountability. So for me, if you're the fast and loose deal junkie and you're a Verivest Verified Gold member, you know, you're gonna think twice before you start doing that stuff because those results will become more public, right? Like if you start to tank this project, we're not gonna let you sort of just stick your head in the sand and, you know, and just burn 30 LPs. You know We're gonna be like, uh, you're removed, you're no longer Verivest Verified and the world now knows that there's a problem. Um, and it's that early warning sort of indicator. And I think a lot of it is just deterrence, right? I mean, that's what we do is the reason why we monitor and review the financials is just to keep people honest. Because even Bernie Madoff didn't start out the firm by defrauding people on day one. It was only until he realized that he couldn't deliver the results he had promised that he decided that it was easier to cheat. Yeah. So, you know, I know that's how it works. I've studied many, many, many Ponzi schemes to see what's at the heart of it. And 90% of them, it's probably not 90, it's probably, you know, 70 or 80. We're just, they started out as honest people. And then they decided not to be one day, right? They decided to zig when they should have zagged. And so for, for us at Verabest, just holding people to a higher standard. And I know it's simple, like we talked about, it's just, but like we have members right now that are having trouble sort of reporting on a quarterly basis. And we're having these conversations like, you know, you get the badge i mean you get to put the badge on your website that says your very best verified goal but that means it's that we're telling investors that you have the ability to report consistently and on time on a quarterly basis and you're not able to do that so you either fix it you know have us help you fix it or you're no longer affiliated with us that's just how it goes because that's simple stuff man that should be table stakes you know, and that's, what, I mean, people, investors jump right to the performance side, but I'm like, I would love to, I wish we were at the point where it's just all about performance, but right now it's really about the basics, like communication and reporting and just the simple stuff. We have to solve those things first.
1: Well, and that's what it's always, but that's what it's always about, right? Isn't it? It's always about the basics and the reporting and the simple stuff, because that ultimately comes down to how you end up performing in the end and you might perform well in a market like today where yep. th- everything is going up, but what happens when that market turns It's the, co- it's the companies that haven't really been doing things the right way, but they've been able to get through it because of the market. The market yep. takes a twist. Now what happens now? Bernie Madoff comes out. Yep. Right. It comes out to play. And now we got problems. You got it. So, man, um, I want to talk real quick, uh, about, you're the uh the other company and your podcast um t- tell me about fairway uh fairway america what do you guys do
0: yeah so at fairway you know that was really what you know veribest launched out of and so okay. we, you know, we really split these companies apart you know so now all verib I mean all fairway does is just it's an investment management company so you're right? still
1: doing uh that investment side
0: yeah. So I personally, I'm just, a, I'm just a shareholder at this point, you know, I'm not involved in the day-to-day, Got it. Uh, you know, so that's, you know, I handle, I run all the stuff on the Verivest side, the service provider side, and then my partners sort of handle all the investment stuff. So, okay. I mean, we're, you know, and it's, it's, it's been a great ride, you know, building that up and, um, you know, and really honing our own thesis as well. You know, one of those things we always talk about is just no matter what you do, you've got to have conviction about, you know, you got to have a thesis conviction over, you know, what you do and why you do it. And uh, you know, at fairway, that's sort of what we've built is we've got, you know, we partner with a handful of operators around the country that are executing sort of more niche type of strategies, you know, like whether it's converting big box uh, retail into self storage or converting, you know, extended stay hotels into multifamily or, you know, those sorts of things is what we kind of go long on, you know, identify opportunities that might, you know, they may only have a certain sort of shelf life to them, but, you know, from our position, we can kind of, you know, you know, know, do those things and then, you know, launch something else that might be, you know, that next thing, right. Uh, Not for everybody, you know, but uh, so that's that side. And then the podcast really was just the, you know, I decided to do it just because I was like, okay, I we need to help investors become better investors, right? I need to be doing something along those lines. Yeah. Is, is Verivest offering a service that sort of removes some of that uh, lift in the diligence process? Yes. But since we don't pass judgment on individual deals, you know, I felt like we need to do something to help investors become better at that part of it. And so, you know, it's it's a little counterintuitive too. Like a podcast about risk sounds pretty damn boring, but from my perspective, that's what I want investors to understand is it's all about assessing risk. So to to think that there is little or no risk involved in these deals, you're just kidding yourself. If if, if someone's going to pay you a a double-digit return for putting money into something, there's a ton of risk. I mean, once again, and it's figuring out how to assess how much risk exists and whether or not what you're being quoted is fair compensation for the risk you're taking, right? That's what makes a good investor. Um, and so and, and the only way to do that is to really get intimate with the types of risks that exist and the various ways in which people can mitigate those. Yeah. And many of the things that the things that you and I just talked about, those are risk mitigants, right? Verivest and the service that we provide is a risk mitigant. We we help mitigate the risk of misappropriation of funds. You know, we 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 force them to report quarterly, which mitigates the risk of people sort of losing track of what they're doing and not paying attention you know, it's all those little things that you have to sort of take into account. Um, And so that's what the podcast is all about. So it's not for everybody, you know, we nerd out on all things risk, Uh, but you know, I feel better at night when I go to bed knowing that at least I'm out there sort of trying to get the word out about, you know, how to think about risk in a different way.
1: I I like it. It sounds pretty cool to me. Probably, probably a little nerdy too, but well, you know, whatever I it's, that's, that's what I like. I like nerdy stuff. I just sent my podcast to somebody I said, that's not really a real estate person. I said, you know, here's some nerdy stuff that you, you may or may not be interested in. And I don't know, you know, cause that's, this is what I, we, we love talking about this stuff. Right. But not everybody. <laughs> some people are like, what is, what, what are you talking about? I don't even know what no, you're I talking know.
0: about. <laughs> that's what most people say when they me. like, yeah. I really have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, yeah. i know i I apologize in fact i had an investor the other day he's like i started listening to your podcast and he's like i've listened to i don't know a bunch of episodes and he's like he's like i've now become really risk averse (laughs) like now he's like (laughs) to the point where he doesn't even want to allocate any capital and i had to reply to him saying okay that was not my intention not the point (laughs) like i think you're missing the point now you know good for you i mean that you're realizing and i think that's what he was basically saying was just that My eyes have been opened. You know, I got into it for you know the reward and and wasn't paying close enough attention. And now he's realizing that there's a lot more there that you have to contemplate. Yeah. And um, you know, it's that's not yeah, it's not my intention to get people to not allocate. It's just my intention to sort of make all the participants sort of be more thoughtful about what they do, why they do it, how they do it, and and, and having those discussions and stop trying to, you know you know, put the rose colored glasses on and, and just pretend that everything is, is just amazing. And is going to always go to plan. Cause me, me, you know, once again, as you know, being in the business a long time, we have been on a tremendous bull run. That's just unprecedented, but you know, and that's great. That's great for a lot of people who made a lot of money doing it, but it's just, it doesn't mean that even in the midst of those bull runs that you should get sloppy and reckless and and yeah. just sort of, you know, not pay attention to what's going on. because you never know when, when something's going to sort of turn.
1: Yeah. Eventually the music's going to stop and we don't know what that looks like. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's a screeching halt and uh, things break like they did in 2008 and maybe it's just a little bump in the road. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but you got to be prepared for it and you have to understand, you know, how that that could happen and how do we mitigate our risk so that we're not Losing all our investors' capital, we're not. Yeah, I just there's there's a lot to be thinking about when you're thinking about that. And yeah, we're on a long bull run. It's great, but eventually it stops. Eventually, the music stops.
0: Real estate always goes up, but there's balance. (laughs) Always, I mean that, and that's where the opportunity is. That's what I mean. It's just that it's investing, and I I think that, of course, for those of us in the business, it's a lot easier because of the lack of volatility. It is, it is, there's a lot less stress involved than it is being in the public markets where yeah. you're exposed to just a tremendous amount of variables and volatility. You know, that's that's tough. And so, but it doesn't mean that, you know, once again, in real estate, it's low volatility and it's uncorrelated, and that's what makes it great. But it's just it's still you like I said, you got to be really thoughtful. There's still the risk, you never know. Um, and uh even even when you're Yeah, you just you just you just really never know, and I think that those the great investors want to stick to the fundamentals, right? They have conviction, um, and that's just that's how they make decisions. And that means sometimes that a lot of guys will sit on the sideline, and that and some guys won't, and they'll stay in the game and they'll still make a bunch of money. But as an investor, being able to identify sort of who's who's in which camp, and then deciding once again where's your own risk aversion, right? because for me, I'm an entrepreneur. So of course I'm willing to, I mean, I'm not risk averse. I mean, I'm, I'm, it doesn't mean I'm reckless, but it just means that I get my mind wrapped around where the risk is and I can make a calculated decision. And, you know, and, and especially given the portfolio and how much you allocate to that, it's just, that's what makes a great investor. Sometimes you make yep. big bets, but you're not putting, you're not going all in on any one thing.
1: Yep. Yep. hundred percent.
0: Um, man,
1: I could keep talking here for a while. This is a, a f- fun topic for me to talk about, but um, for sake of time and for my listeners, we probably should wrap up here. A yeah. uh, couple last questions uh, that I that I like to ask every um, guest on the show is: What's a favorite book that you can recommend to our listeners?
0: Yeah, so it's on the bookshelf back here. I think it's right there. Influenced by Robert Caldini. Um, mm-hmm. Is is my favorite book, so I read it once a year. You know, and it's it's all about the psychology of how us as humans make decisions, you know, and and how we can be manipulated, uh, but also for good, right? To 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 move people through change. So highly recommend, you know, reading it no matter who you are. Uh, That's a
1: that's the first time anybody's ever recommended that book. So that's awesome. I appreciate you.
0: Yeah, I I love uh, hearing new books. It's, it's a great book. It's been around forever. He's revised it several times, but it's, it's, it's foundational and fundamental. And if you want to, you know, be a more successful human to navigate through this world, I think you'll be better off after you read it.
1: That's awesome. Uh, Lance, what, what are your three pillars of wealth creation?
0: Three pillars of wealth creation. Yeah, I mean, I think number one is just, it's, it's patience. Hmm right so it it, it just it's long game wake up every day and just keep keep moving right to discipline same thing it's just not it's just it's not getting overly excited right just re- try to do the best you can do to remove emotion from these situations and be as analytical as you can given what you've got right um you know and i, I guess three is just you know you, you've you've passion or interest, right? Like you, 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 the the curiosity that comes with it. So I have no interest in sort of oil and gas, right? It's just, it's just not interesting to me, right? Like, and and there's certain other things that it's just, when you're going to invest, once again, it's your wealth, you sort of have to figure out like what, what lines up with what interests you, right? Because, because it does require this curiosity where you want to kind of dig into it. Some guys like all this sort of crypto stuff or whatever. I mean, I'm not against any of those things to the degree that you do your homework and and you have interest and, and you can dig deep enough to where you get comfortable, then you do it. But if you, if you're not there and it's feeling forced, then, then you, you shouldn't, it goes back to the Warren Buffett thing. It's just, you got to invest in things you understand. If it doesn't make sense to you, you you have no business, you know, putting, investing money in That's speculation and you're more than likely going to get burned. So that's how I kind of look at it.
1: I like it. Somebody asked me the other day, why, like, why aren't you investing in crypto? And I said, look, cause I have no clue what I'm doing. I don't know anything about it. And I know everything about real estate. And so I'm going to stick with what I'm good at and what I know. Well, that's it. Like I could maybe make a lot more money with crypto. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe my dollar would turn into, you know, millions of dollars, but I, I have no clue. I don't, I don't really know. And I, quite frankly, I have no interest. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. It's, it's funny. You mentioned, I kind of laugh when you said that your three pillars, patience, discipline, passion slash interest. I was just talking with one of my coaching clients yesterday, and he's talking about all these other people around that are posting on social media and they're buying all these properties and he's not posting all his properties. You know, he's only bought a, a couple. And I said, well, look for, first of all, you can't compare yourself to others. Like you've got to have patience, right? You've got to have patience. We're in this crazy market right now. You have to have patience and discipline in this market and and understand where you're going and not worry about all these other people. And then we talked about his interests and and he's talking about, should I be raising money? Should I be looking for deals? Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? I said, well, you got to figure out what your interest and what your passion is. What you're going to be good at, because that's so. It's just funny that you mentioned those three yeah. things, because that's exactly what we talked about: is those three things and how he's going to be successful. I, uh, so I really like your three pillars. Um, lo- love the the book recommendation, so I appreciate that, and just really enjoyed talking about you know your company, Verivest, really what you guys do, and and I really am a firm believer in what you're doing. I think it's a great. Uh, service. Hopefully it's a, a great profit maker for you now and into the future. Uh, but at the same time, it's a great service for for real estate investors, passive ones, and the real estate uh, companies that are looking for those passive investors. So I think they marry yeah. up pretty well for each other.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Todd. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on. It's always good uh, chatting and uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. like talking about this stuff.
1: Absolutely, man. Well, Lance, again, really appreciate you joining us. Really appreciate your time. Um, And I I know my listeners have learned a bunch uh, from this episode. So again, appreciate it. And you have a fantastic rest of the day.
0: You too, Todd. Take care, man.